my framework was very basic. It was yeah. I either know the person very well. And so I can bet on that person or I know the space very well. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can actually help or understand what they're doing. If I didn't meet one of those two criteria, I just felt like I wasn't necessarily like, you know, able to make that investment. All right, so Paul is an early stage technology investor based in New York. After eight years as general partner at different funds, including Red Sea Ventures, ISAI, Paul is now launching his own fund, Spar Ventures. Paul brings a proven investment track record, deep operating experience, as well as key B2SMB expertise through his existing portfolio, which have been 50% investments in B2SMB. He also brings his understanding of consumer acquisition and retention strategies applicable to SMB tech. Paul, how are you doing today? Great. How are you doing? All right. Well, I think you might know one of the first questions I'm going to ask you is, what is SMB for those who may not know? But <laughs> I, I did manage to get through your bio without messing it up. So I'm already off to a good start. No, I think it's great. So SMB is like small and medium businesses. Okay. So it's going to be like, for me, I think it goes like from even the solo entrepreneur or even the gig worker who yeah. oftentimes are basically functioning as like a small unit of like, you know, company mm -hmm. all the way through like more like medium businesses from that standpoint. And so that's kind of like the the nature of companies that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Like I'm interested in the software companies that are like are tailoring to those specific companies. Got it. Right. Got it. And do you think that's a combination more of your experience working with those or you think there's more opportunity in that space? How do you kind of think about the two? I, I think that like from a point of view of like the the why the space is really attractive, the 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 space of the SMB is like massive, right? It represents mm -hmm. like a huge part of the economy. It represents a huge part of like the job creation. <clears throat> and so I think that like, there's a lot of like massive markets into like each of those, like, you know, SMB market, like verticals, mm -hmm. that you imagine whether it's like HVAC, plumbing, home services, or like other types of like industries. But the other thing that I think is interesting is that, you know, if you think about like where they are right now, a lot of them are still without a lot of like technology, you know, in terms yeah. of like digital, you know, usage. Right. Yeah. The second thing is, I think a big unlock that has happened over the past like two years is the fact that historically those were not very attractive markets because mm -hmm. the cost acquisition was so high and the average like, you know, contract value was like too low to support like having a salesperson trying to like reach those people. And I think that like, you know, what's I've seen changing over the past like, you know, few years, but like really like the past few years is like the ability to leverage like more consumer tactics mm -hmm. to acquiring some of those small businesses, right? You and I have a company, a portfolio company in common, but like there's two examples that I think are interesting. <clears throat> One is like a company that's called Tango. Mm -hmm. And Tango is a productivity tool that has done amazing. They've grown <clears throat> really, you know, very rapidly. And despite being a productivity, so it's a B2B typically product-led growth type of like, you know, solution, right? So to enable to like share a how-to guide and like capture it easily and then like be able to share it, 40% mm -hmm. of their leads have come from TikTok. Hmm. And if you ask, and I've done the exercise to ask people like, what do you think is the largest like, you know, lead generation channel? Most people don't land on TikTok as like an answer, right? Yeah. What, what is really the company? This is Tango? Tango. And what do they do? They basically enable you to capture like your workflow so that mm. you can share that as a how-to guide to like other people. So think about oh, cool. like, you know, 
whether it's like small companies or even sometimes large companies, the ability for you to not have to do webinars, to mm -hmm. not have to train or retrain. And oftentimes the people who have to train those other people are the best producers because they're yeah. the one who knows how to use those tools. So this like enables like to cut through that by having those tools, right? But the thing that was interesting with them is that they don't they didn't just like use TikTok. They basically used influencers mm -hmm. and TikTok. So there's a lot of like people that are not influencers across many different verticals, right? Mm -hmm. So for them, they identify productivity influencers that typically just cover like the new tools. Max was like a TikTok kind of like growth engine. Mm -hmm. And that's what basically took off for them, right? A few years ago, that was not possible for most of those like mm -hmm. B2S companies, right? Interesting. So I think this is something that enables to reduce the cost of acquisition yeah. for something that fundamentally doesn't have an average and an annual contract value that's high enough to support a, a salesperson. Got it. The other one that I think is a good example is Solo, which, you know, I believe you're also an investor in. Yeah. And they also have had like some of those similar strategies around TikTok, right? Around mm -hmm. influencers. Yeah. And so they've identified influencers and, and you obviously to a certain extent have been a massive influencer from that standpoint. And I think mm -hmm. that when you think about SMBs, What's interesting about the influencer is that there's obviously an aspect of lead generation. Mm -hmm. The owner of an SMB, the the like gig worker, the person who works like you know round like round the clock doesn't really have the time to do the diligence around a certain solution. Yeah. So when it comes on top of that from somebody that they trust, yeah, that also facilitates the conversion a lot more than just like reading about it in a paid ad on Google and Facebook. So I think those are like new techniques that are actually being unlocked. Yeah. And that's what, like, first of all, makes it interesting in terms of like a new way to attract some of those like, you know, SMBs as clients. Yeah, well, that's actually a really good point, because I think the paid channels have always been there for acquisition. And, you know, of course, if you're in a spot where you've got a lot of money and you need to scale up, you know, there that's the great thing about paid marketing. It's right. You've got this channel and you can scale it typically right within reason. And I think the one thing we've seen with companies like Solo and others is that you when you start to look to these alternative channels like influencers or affiliate, you can start reducing that CAC, right? So it's like, hey, we're starting off at 20, you know, to acquire users. And now let's start adding in these other channels, you know, as we start to mature the product, mature the business. So I, I have actually never, even though it is funny, so I helped Solo set up their affiliate program and, you know, reach out to their first few group of influencers. And I think there's three or four that are, you know, doing much better than me in terms of affiliate, you know, revenue and generation now than, you know, my rideshare guy business. And um, I was, you know, even like a couple of them, I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, wow, you know, I, you know, they don't have as many, you know, maybe monthly views, but like they have less companies they're talking about. They have maybe a deeper connection with their audience, right? And so when you talk about some new product or highlight something, it really can, you know, be effective and, you know, maybe they get compensated. Maybe it just sort of raises the raises the pie. But yeah, I, I like that as a, a sort of strategy for lowering the CAC over time too. Yes. And so I think that those are like new things that I think have emerged and that like more and more B2B companies understand. Mm -hmm. The second yeah. thing, and I'm not like, I think right now there's a lot of craze around AI as like, you know, a huge area for investment. I think that a lot of the AI companies right now are like getting too much money at too high valuations. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really like interested in investing in some of those because I want to remain disciplined in terms of the valuation. But yeah. I do think that when it comes to like small and medium businesses, there's a lot of like AI features that are going to become really interesting. Again, mm -hmm. those people don't really have the bandwidth, the time. And so... Yeah. Having some kind of co-pilot element in like their day-to-day -day work because they're just making the routes or they're making yeah. the routes or speaking to their customers. Had you facilitated and helped them, you can build a lot more interesting products for them than like was in the past. So I think yeah. two unlocks that lately 
I have felt like are really interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm excited about that space. Yeah, no, I think AI is a good example. It's obviously there's a lot of hype right now. So I think it's a tricky one because, you know, it, you know, a lot of things sound good on paper and then in real life, you know, not so, so doable. Like why is Siri still so bad? You know, like Apple's a pretty big company and Siri barely works. You know, it's like creating events and meetings. Like I just had a, a meeting with a security alarm company and I was like thinking about it. It's like, oh, 8.30 a.m. meeting. I'm like, no one's confirmed it. I checked my email, like no confirmation. I'm like, oh God, is this guy going to show up? And I had to drive to a new house that we're building. And, you know, at 820, when I was driving over there, I got a call from the guy and he said, oh, you know, I just realized I added this to my calendar. I'm not going to be able to make it. And like, this is a big security company in LA, like, you know, doing probably millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars in revenue. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, how did this happen? That's kind of crazy. And so I think a lot of people are familiar with that kind of like SMB, you know, tech layer that can be added to optimize a lot of these low hanging fruits. Right. Yeah. So that's why I think it's interesting to like leverage GI. You yeah. know, again, that like the technology itself, I think he's actually really like, you know, progressing massively. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that, you know, and you're mentioning Siri, some of the things are not possible that were not possible really a few years ago, specifically yeah. from a language standpoint. But yes, I agree with you. I think that the, the trickiest thing right now in some of the AI companies is, is this a feature or is this mm-hmm. a product really building? And if it's just a feature in a market where you already have incumbents, the startup will not have enough time to build the distribution before they're going to be swallowed or competed against by like the incumbent. So the thing that I think is interesting, again, in some of the SMB market is for a lot of those, you don't necessarily have massive incumbents, technology incumbents mm-hmm. that just have to like turn on the switch for AI. And yeah. so it also gives a little bit more the opportunity for a startup to come build a distribution network before basically like having a large company come around. Cool. Love it. Well, I, I, I like that we started with, you know, two great examples of companies and some concrete, like I feel very, you know, knowledgeable already in action. Well, let's talk about your background a little bit. So I was on your LinkedIn earlier and you had a lot going on. You're at Equinox for a while and it looks like some investing. When when people meet you, you know, or over the years when they've met you, what do you tell them that, you know, they say, oh, hey, Paul, what do you do? What do you, what's your answer? I mean, for the past eight years, I've been doing VC. So usually I okay. switch to that way back, like, you know, <laughs> that like I'm a I'm a VC and, and I and I manage like a fund or I was managing a fund when I was a GP at like other funds. So that's probably what I tell them. I think that's thing that's interesting was like, for example, companies like Equinox, especially even when you think about like B2B, is mm-hmm. that it's fundamentally a subscription business. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of like the similar like you know techniques around like cohorts, retention, mm-hmm. and engagement are like no different than what you see in like, you know, a SaaS, especially when you look at like SaaS for like, you know, small and medium businesses, right? It's like a consumer like type of mentality. How do you get them to really use the tool so that they're engaged enough that they're not actually churning? So I think there's a lot of like similarities. So that's also how sometimes I use that background. And some people are big fans of Equinox. So some people, Mm -hmm. no matter what will ask me, often passes for Equinox. So discounts, but you know. So yeah, Equinox is a good example. So like what what were some of the, I love the kind of parallels from adjacent industries. Like obviously I focus on Uber and Lyft drivers and gig workers, but you know, they're really independent owner operators. So anyone that's like has their own business or kind of operating independently, right? Like I think there's a lot of that you can kind of learn from Uber and Lyft drivers and gig workers and vice versa. So talk about some of the, you mentioned subscription with Equinox. Equinox, is that kind of relevant to some of these SMBs or what are sort of the, some of the one or two of the parallels you found there? Well, I think there's a few things. One is like when I worked at Equinox, we rebuilt the entire CRM system. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things was really kind of like moving away from like, from a marketing standpoint, moving away from a point of view that was basically 
marketing based on like who you are to mm-hmm. marketing based on what you do, right? Got so it. it was a lot more behavior based than just like demographics based. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big proponent, big believer of the fact that like when you do it on the what you do, then like who you are, you're going to be better served because who somebody is doesn't necessarily fully imply what they're going to do with your tool. So I think that was like one first thing. And the second what, thing- What's was, a good example of that? Was there like a type of ad you guys are running before that you changed yeah. or- so if you think purely about fitness, you know, in a more like in a very kind of like gender biased way, there was this mm-hmm. idea of women love group fitness and men mm-hmm. love, you know, uh, uh, weights and everything. Yeah. But the reality is that's not exactly what works. And mm-hmm. so if you apply your entire marketing just on that basis, you end up missing a lot of opportunities around that. Right. So I think that that's one big thing. And being able to like really track and analyze how somebody behaves with your service is and has been like really critical. The second thing that I think was like a massive thing is at some point we had like an issue around like, you know, it was during the recession, the the personal training business was declining. Yeah. And there was a question around like, you know, should you reduce the price so that you can try to attract people? And again, if you do it on a broad basis, that might sound like the best idea. And mm-hmm. other companies that like I'm working with in the SMB space, that's something that we're working on right now which is basically if you reduce the price, the problem if you look at it on an average basis for your consumer, mm-hmm. it might sound great. But some of those people are like heavy users and mm-hmm. others are like not that heavy users. And so even if you reduce the price, the low users who are like low engaged are not going to maintain, they're not going to stay with you no matter what. It doesn't yeah. matter how low you reduce the price. But for the heavy users, you're basically just like losing money mm-hmm. on those because they would probably be willing to pay more. Yeah. From that standpoint. So discriminating from the price standpoint based on the engagement was a big lesson that I think sometimes a lot of like the B2B companies don't do as often because they're afraid to like increase the price. Yeah. But the reality is that sometimes increase the price will discriminate against people who no matter what will churn. Mm-hmm. Um, versus reducing the price is like something that's like a little trickier. And so even there, I think that like when you set your first price, even in SaaS, to me, I've always been more of the proponent of like setting the price high, even if it means mm-hmm. discounting a bit, than setting the price low because the move of increasing the price is a lot harder than removing the discount. Got it. Well, so let's talk about your investing journey a little bit. You know, I think I mentioned you've done, or we talked about you've done some angel investments. You kind of went to the GP route and then you, you now have your own fund. So how have you thought about your you know investment journey over the years? I mean, when, when I started as an angel, I think that for me, it was a question more of like testing myself a little bit mm-hmm. in terms of like seeing like, you know, what works. When, when did you make your first angel investment? The first first was 2011, but really the bulk of the ones that I did started in 2014. Got it. And I've done about like, you know, I would say 10 angel investments. Okay, um, cool. I would say most of them have not necessarily done like particularly well. Uh, and to me, that was like one of the big lessons, which is, and I've told many people who are trying like the angel route, my framework was very basic. It was yeah. I either know the person very well, and so I can bet on that person, or I know the space very well. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I can actually help or understand what they're doing. If I didn't meet one of those two criteria, I just felt like I wasn't necessarily like, you know, able to make that investment. And the thing I just also realized is that you know, the thing I tend to tell people is that the, if you don't become a professional angel investor, mm-hmm. you're not having the deal flow necessary to be able to identify what's the best 
out of all the companies that you're saying. Yeah. So that time I wasn't necessarily like maximizing my deal flow. I was just primarily like speaking to my classmates, friends, or people who approached me because of my expertise in like mm -hmm. say wellness or other things. And I could look at that, but that meant like, you know, out of those 10 investments, maybe I'd looked at like 30 companies, not yeah. like, you know, a hundred companies. I like that. I don't know that I've ever heard it that simplified, but I like that framework a lot because it's like, it's kind of hard to mess up. I mean, obviously, you know, angel investing is still lots of risk and all of that, but it's like, you know, if you know the person really well, it's like, okay, I've seen what they can do. You know, that's a key element. And then if you know the space for it, like there's only so much you can screw up when, you know, one of two, those two criterias are met. And I think this kind of resonates with me because I think a lot of the first few or a lot of the angel investments I did were basically the same. You know, I had to know them well or kind of the space well or be adjacent to what I knew really well. And, you know, I am, I feel like I said yes, like a lot, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you got to see 100 deals. And you say yes to five or 10. I'm like, I saw 20 deals. And I say yes to like 15 of them, you know, because they didn't even come into my top of funnel if they didn't meet those, you know, if it was some random cool thing. I'm like, oh, I mean, I don't know anything about this. I'm not gonna talk to you. Right? Yeah. But I also think that like, you know, if I had to like redo it, I think I would mm -hmm. value more the quantity than the amount per company. Got it. So I would I basically would put ten to twenty thousand, right, mm -hmm. in each of the companies. I didn't necessarily have like a ton of liquidity, so that was already like a pretty significant check. Mm -hmm. And my rule was the minute the money is out, I consider the money like gone. Yeah, so like for me that line is worth zero because the chance that it will become something are so low, which also makes it like you know better from that standpoint. But if I had to redo it, I would probably do more deals than than higher amounts per deal. Just because I think like you learn more from like seeing how each of those companies are doing. Yeah. And if you're trying to like build your network, it's probably better for you to have like founders that you know and you connect yeah. with. It's purely like I've made three bets and that's it. Right. Yeah. I think that's a very common thing that, you know, I would agree with. And I think most of our guests, almost all of our guests have basically said that they would do, you know, fewer deal or less money, more deals, basically. So I think what was the reason you got into angel investing in the first place? Did you kind of want to go down the VC route and this was dipping your toes in the water or? I think there was like a mix between like, you know, some of the people were my friends and they asked me and I was like, that sounds like an interesting idea. And then I just felt like, you know, yeah, I should like try to make some bets to learn from it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The whole time I had the idea of around like, you know, potentially finishing like, you know, or like starting more of a career in like VC. Yeah. And so I, this was like, again, a learning experience that was like helpful. Again, retrospectively, it would have been even more helpful to do more deals so that yeah. you have this like kind of like, you know, frame of reference. And then the reason why I decided to also join VC is because I think this is the only time, unless you're a professional, mm -hmm. a professional angel, this is the only time when... I feel like you basically start thinking about this deal flow. Yeah. Like, how do I maximize my coverage? How do I like really understand? Because I invest in pre-seed and seed and the time to see and get any type of feedback is incredibly long, yeah. right? So like, you know, to the next round. And again, in 2021 to the next round wasn't particularly a great feedback because everybody was somewhat getting a next round. But yeah. to the next round is like about two years, right? To some kind of real exit is about eight years. So you know, it takes a long time to see, like, did I have the right, did I make the right decision or not? And so I just felt like at least like seeing enough companies and like really building this like deal flow was like, you know, the right path to go for if I wanted to become like an investor. Got it. And what was the firm uh, you joined when you went into VC? I joined Red Sea. Yes. I okay. joined Red Sea. And so I started as a venture partner, then I became a general partner. 
And again, it was for me, it was really incredibly helpful because I could basically join someone who was on his second fund. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I contributed to that second fund. But at the same time, I was sitting next to someone who had already done, I think he had done by the time like 30 investments. Yeah. And some of them had like enough, like, you know, feedback loop that like you could see what was good and what was bad. And so that's also why I joined that. And it was, you know, a very natural thing because it wasn't like we decided that at some point it would be GP. It was more like, okay, we'll work a little bit together and we got to know each other. And then we basically decided to go in together for that fund. Got it. And how many funds is uh, Red Sea up to now? Red Sea is on its uh, third fund. So when okay. I joined, we're still finishing like the first fund. I contributed mm -hmm. fund two and fund three. And then now we're basically kind of like taking a slightly different direction, mainly because like I really want to be, Red Sea is more of a generalist fund. We mm -hmm. like sub teams from that standpoint. And I really wanted to be more focused personally within the theme. That's why like, you know, the kind of like B to SMB like market. Also, because I just feel that at some point to be able to support your companies, the more focused you are in terms mm. of the teams, the easier it is for you to build some kind of like support structure for your portfolio companies. Yeah. Got so it. for the new fund, I put together a, a, a group of advisors that have experience in product-led growth, SMBs at like very different like, you know, companies. And the other thing I put together is kind of like a code, like a go-to-market foundation platform mm -hmm. is like agencies that are in growth, content, lead gen, influencer, and brand to help those companies set up the right foundation because go-to-market is the hardest thing when you go to like those small businesses. Yeah. And so these are sort of more referrals or people you've worked with? Because yeah. I definitely know that, you know, this is obviously, oh, not obvious, but I think actually, you know, one thing that is very helpful to a lot of these early stage are like kind of like referrals. And I know a couple of people who basically do kind of consulting for early stage startups, Colin, my partner on Bonnaby Angels, that's one of the big things he does. And a lot of the times, you know, he kind of makes, you know, really good referrals to people he's worked with, you know, as a, his experience as an operator. And it seems like, you know, I, I guess I didn't realize just how valuable that that could be, but it's like extremely valuable, like good referrals, PR, SEO, product, everything. But, but those, the idea is like at some point they might become referrals, but in the beginning they will actually provide like more like audits, brand audits, mm -hmm. discussion, one-on-one -on -one kind of like, you know, mentorship. Mm -hmm. Some of those companies are real at the beginning of their go-to-market kind of like strategy. Yeah. At some point this might become more of like a, a, a contractual relationship, but that's not the idea of like just purely like, you know, referring mm -hmm. them. Got it's it. more educational in the beginning. I did like one or two webinars with some of those companies and most of the portfolio was always like in awe of like how much they learn in, even just in one hour, which I thought was like super interesting. Very cool. And so, I mean, I think that, you know, we kind of already talked about a couple of the companies that you've invested in in the past, a little bit about the thesis. Is there anything else you want to share on the kind of new fund and sort of what you're thinking about there? Yeah. I mean, the idea is to raise like about like the fund will be 20 million. We focus mm -hmm. probably on pre-seed and seed. And the idea is to do about 20 companies. So, you know, we mentioned like some of the themes. One of them is like the vertical SaaS theme, yeah. which is like for those five market. The second one is the around horizontal solution. And the third one is around like this idea of SMB next gen. So like the tools to help people build their own yeah. company. Right. So let's, let's talk about that. Cause I think that's one where you and I have a lot of crossover. What, what uh, tools are you sort of seeing that are out there? Like if you had to identify maybe a few categories or maybe even something that, you know, if there's any founders listening that you'd like them to build, what do you, what do you think could kind of have the, the biggest impact? I think that, so if you look at like this SMB next gen, right, there's like, 
some of the people who are again those gig workers or like mm -hmm. side that want to become like you know full time i think there's a lot of like segments where people want to kind of like not be dependent on one platform so yeah. any tool that enables some of those people to go from like one platform to mm -hmm. multi-platform a good example of that is apparel or like clothing resale right so a lot of them are usually on one platform yeah and having tools that enables them to like do one listing that enables mm -hmm. to go across like 10 platforms is something that like makes them step up in terms of like you know their revenue and maximize also their inventory so i think that's like one example solo is another example where i think for now they're helping you to optimize your gig work right yeah. like when they make it possible for people to go much easier from uber to doordash from doordash to lyft mm -hmm. just like a turn on of a button that yeah. would be interesting so then some of those people aren't as dependent on one platform for example right yeah. so i think there's like that one thing that becomes like really important right i think franchise is going to be a big thing whether it's like franchise in terms of like you know the tools for the franchise to like manage when they have multiple franchises but also just like people offering the opportunity to like independence to mm -hmm. basically leverage a franchise to be able to like build their own business right and mm -hmm. i think that Historically, people have thought about franchise as a more of like a, a four-wall food-related kind of like, or like wellness-related type of franchise. But there's a lot of them that are now created in the home services, for example, mm -hmm. where really you just need to have, you know, the tools so that you can like manage your customers, you, you can manage your lead flow, you can like manage some of those things, which I think is interesting. And the last thing that, and I haven't found anything yet that I'm like as excited about is around what I think is SMB succession, right? So mm -hmm. a vast majority of people who own SM, like small and medium businesses are yeah. 65 or plus. Mm -hmm. And those people are looking for people to acquire those like companies. And there's a big churn reason specifically at like your 10 among small businesses. And that is usually because no one was there to buy the company. And mm -hmm. I like, like there's a comparison that I think is super interesting, which is, you know, right now there's this generational gap between like the boomers and even the millennials who don't have the money or the capex to be able to acquire those businesses. But if you look at a parallel in these single homes, this is what happened. So the next generation did not have enough money to acquire the homes. So what happens like a bunch of private equity firms like BlackRock and others came like like scooped a ton of single homes and turned them into rentals. And this has become like a really huge industry. And so yeah. I think like something similar for SMBs is really going to be interesting. So I'm interested there in, into solutions around brokers. So broker yeah. marketplaces, because right now a lot of brokers are kind of like, yeah, like, you know, it's like a little antiquated in terms of the way they do things. Even something as simple as like, can you give me roughly how much I could expect from my company? <laughs> So, it's funny you mentioned this because I was just helping someone look at this fleet owner business, right? Someone who's renting, you know, multiple cars to Uber and Lyft drivers. And they're this exact, you know, they've been in the industry for 20, 30 years or 65 plus. They're looking to sell and they hired a broker to, you know, put a package together. I'm looking at this package and I'm like, oh my God, it looks like, you know, not great. You know, yeah. to be honest, like what, you know, there's so many moving parts and moving pieces. And I think it, you know, I'm sure the guy has kids, but they probably wanted to go into more of a sexy field or, you know, tech or whatever. Right. And they didn't want to take over their dads, but I mean, it's making money, you know, it's, it's an interesting business. Yeah. There's quite a lot going on though. So I, I think that SMB succession is really interesting. And I think it kind of ties into 
what you mentioned earlier in the sort of tools, the hiring, the getting help, right? Like basically, you know, I think everyone knows, you know, digitizing SMBs, you know, basically, right? Kind of like we we already talked about, but I do think that it's sort of like there, there's probably some combo there, but I, I like those two categories a lot. And I just looked at one, so I sort of can empathize with. I, I agree with you. I think that like a lot of the brokers put together packages that are like, again, they don't fully understand your business. They right. put together as best packages as they can. And again, it's not very different than mortgage broker than like apartment brokers. Their goal is to like get you sold as fast yeah. as possible. And I guess for those wondering, you know, you can find a lot of these SMBs. I don't know if you've ever been on Biz by Sell or BizQuest. They're sort of, you know, they have everything from like, you know, laundromats to whatever. And you can look at these and, you know, sign an NDA and take a look and potentially bid on. I think there are a lot of these SMB types. By the way, there's also been, because we were speaking about influencers, there also have been like a lot of influencers that are basically speaking only about one thing, which is how do you acquire a small business? Yeah. I don't know how active you are. I looked at your Twitter. I don't know how active you are, but there, I feel like there's a bunch of these SMB guys now and, and girls on uh, Twitter now that are talking about, you know, starting little mom and pops or buying or taking over Absolutely. or new ideas. So yeah, it's it's cool. I think if I had a, if I was a little younger and I had a little more energy, I might be uh <laughs> dive in. But some of, them, some of them want to have their own business, but it's like very different between like acquiring something that's profitable. And like starting a company from scratch. So I think for yeah. a lot of them, it is like attractive to think about that. And even for those people, like my last investment is called Share Willow, which mm-hmm. is helping small businesses set up profit share. Mm. And again, that's yeah. something that not everybody knows, but you know, for even for like, you know, people who don't have any employees, when you do the tax deferred profit sharing, this can be like much better than any type of 401k plan that you set up for yourself. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that like, bringing also some of those solutions. And then on when you add to that the SMB influencers who are speaking a lot about how to maximize your money beyond acquiring the company. Like yeah. I think a lot of like you know convergence like that also. Yeah. All right. Well, selfishly, I'm going to totally be on your page now because I think a lot of the things you mentioned would help me in my business with the rideshare guy. You know, I've got a lot of my contributors, you know, they see a video is doing really well and they're like, Hey, can I get a little bonus or a little (laughs) riff share on the ads? And, you know, so it's very difficult though, to set a lot of this stuff up, you know, when you're kind of a smaller size, you know, a solo person, or you've got a small team. So I think these are all really cool categories and maybe we'll uh, have to share a few deals on this side. So really appreciate uh, you sharing your journey, everything, you know, your kind of take on some of these thesis, anything else you want to mention before we sign off here, where can people find you? Or I guess we'll leave links to some of the companies we mentioned, like Solo and Tango, and maybe your LinkedIn and the fund information for SPAR. Yes, that sounds great. I mean, you know, again, you can ping me directly, happy to take like cold emails at like paul at sparventures.com. But I'm assuming you also add the email. And yeah, feel free to reach out to me. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Awesome.